Amen. I hope that the Lord is your salvation, that you know him as your personal savior. If you don't, that's what we're here to help you to find the Lord and have a relationship with him. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'll turn to the book of Numbers chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. If you're visiting with us, just raise your hand and we'll give you a Bible. We hope that you'll start to learn to read the Bible. We're going to come this morning to a very important story in the Bible. It becomes sort of a paradigm and is quoted a number of times throughout both the Old and the New Testament. It's a story within a larger story of which most of you, if you've read the Bible, are familiar with the story of the Exodus, okay? The story of the Exodus becomes the, 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 the visual paradigm of what salvation is that's ultimately accomplished through Christ. Because the people of Israel are in Egypt in bondage, and that's figuratively an example of what it means to be a sinner. We are in bondage to our sin. And then the Passover, the sacrifice of the Lamb, is symbolic of the Lamb of God, Jesus, dying on the cross to forgive us. And then when we have that faith relationship with Him, we're let free from our bondage. And then the children of Israel crossed over the, 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 the Red Sea, which was a figure we see in the New Testament of baptism. And now they're, they're in the wilderness. And that journey through the wilderness is symbolic for the Christian life. We're living in a, in a strange land. The Bible says that when you're a real Christian, this world is no longer your home. You're aliens and strangers. We're not to drive our tent pegs deep anymore. This world is passing away and their values and the lifestyle and their rebellion against God. So the Bible teaches that forgiven followers of Christ are to do the will of God. So we're on this journey and we find that there are many dangers, toils, and snares. And there are many people who join us on the journey who don't finish. They quit. They turn aside. We saw recently 13 people make a profession of Christian faith. I am a forgiven follower of Christ. It's not just those who start out. It's those who finish who enter the kingdom of God. Jesus warned about people who will receive God's word with joy, but as soon as persecution and trouble comes, they fall away. And so one of the things that we have to be familiar with is this great story of the 12 spies and the unbelief of the Israelites because of the hardships they faced. Because the reality is, in case somebody hasn't told you, being a Christian isn't easy. It's not easy. The Bible calls it entering by the narrow gate. The Bible says, it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved. What will become of the godless and the sinners? And so, to turn from our sin by faith and to ask God to forgive us and to become a Christ follower is awesome. It's the most powerful and important thing you'll ever do, to be forgiven of your sin and to know that, that you're going to be in heaven forever. You're going to be in God's kingdom. But along the way, the Bible says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So this story of the hard-heartedness and the grumbling and complaining and the unbelief of God's people in the Old Testament becomes a picture to us. Basically, this is what they're doing. This is what God doesn't want you and me to do. So let's pray, and then we're going to read through this great story. Now, for some of you, are like, oh, I already know this story. I remember when I was a little kid. 
Mark Twain once said this, it's not what I don't know about the Bible that bothers me, it's what I do know. So as you become a Christian longer, you need to keep hearing the things of Scripture. Peter and Paul both said this, I know you already know these things, but I want to stir you up and remind you. So while you may know this story, we need to be reminded afresh that there's a danger to all of us of hardening our heart, falling into unbelief and getting mad at God, and then experiencing his discipline. And we also need to recognize that there are others around us who are losing their way, and, and we're supposed to help them and encourage them to continue to claim God's promises. We need one another. We're a community. So let's pray, and we'll look at this. Father, thank you for this awesome passage. It's very sobering, but it's also very encouraging if we understand what you're trying to teach us, because we're being led by Jesus. He's the Lord of this church. He's the Lord of our lives. And he's the one who wants us to walk by faith and turn our backs on this world and come hell or high waters to persevere until we enter his kingdom. So bless your word now and speak to us through it. Help us as a church to be encouraged and fed as Jesus speaks to us through his words. For it's in his name we pray, amen. So we begin in chapter 13. They have wandered through the wilderness and they've come to the southern border of the promised land. It's almost within sight. And so at this point, we come to this puzzling place where God says, all right, we're going to spy out the land. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader from among them. Now, what's really interesting about this is when you read the book of Deuteronomy chapter one, when Moses retells this story, this is how he words it in Deuteronomy one. He says, remember back 40 years ago when you came to me and you asked if we could send 12 spies into the land. And then you read in Numbers, God said, send out 12 spies. And you're like, wait a minute, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The Bible doesn't contradict itself. So in putting those two things together, it's probably most reasonable to say that the people were the ones who decided they wanted to have spies, okay? But then in hearing this desire, God told Moses, okay, let's, let's do this. Because first of all, why would they need spies to go see if the land's good. I'm sorry, I thought God already told them it's a really good land flowing with milk and honey. So what I want you to see here is when the Lord is telling them to do this, he's acquiescing to their desire and demand from Deuteronomy. We want to go find out about it, okay? So the Lord says, fine, send out these men, heads of the sons of Israel, and he lists 12 men. And some of you are going, oh, I remember as a little kid, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad, 2 were good. I remember that song. I know this whole story. I saw him carrying the grapes. All right, good. So let's review this story. We see the names of these people, particularly verse 16. These are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy at the land. But Moses called Hosea, which means God is salvation. He called him Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Okay, there's a promise and then an action of God. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up into the Negev, then into the hill country. And he said, see what the land is like. I mean, tell us about the people who are in it. Are they strong or weak? Are they few or many? Are we talking about, is it a suburb? Is it the hood? Is it, is it a lot of people, a few people? 
And then he says, and by the way, um, how is this land? Is it good or bad? Is it a desert? Or is it like oasis, real estate, location, location? Good views, lots of water. And how are the cities in which they live? Are they open camps or fortifications? Are the people there Bedouins? Do they live in tents like we do? Or do they have houses? Do the cities have walls around them? Is it up-and-coming community or, or, or old money? Like, find out about the land. And then, how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Think about how important it is to have trees. Like, these people are in the wilderness. I'd give anything for a tree, right? For shade and for some fruit, right? Now, the time was the time of the first ripe grapes, which was around June or July. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob at Lebahamas. Now, if you're taking John's Tuesday night class on how to study the Bible, you learn to look stuff up. If you look this up in a map, it's about 125 miles from, from where they went to the northern borders of the promised land and back. Okay, so total, they traveled for 40 days, probably around 250 miles. Okay, it's unlikely that they all traveled together. Hey, you guys from around here? Uh, yeah, um, we're just, uh, we're from down. So they probably split up, went to different areas. You know, they, they didn't come in like a bunch of knuckleheads that, that they would have easily been captured or, or, or enslaved or killed. So, so, okay, when they had gone up, they came to Hebron. Now, now, why does Moses focus on this? Now, if you look at your Bible map, Hebron's kind of right in the middle of the land. But Hebron's a big deal because when you read the book of Genesis, it was in the area of Hebron where Abraham bought some land. And he buried his wife there, and he was buried there. So in many ways, as these guys are passing through, they knew about Hebron. They'd heard the story for 400 years. The Jews were passing on the promise of the covenant to our God, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so in essence, if they met up with anybody, they might say, hey, we have some relatives that own a little plot around here, right? And actually, they wouldn't say it to him, but we're going to own a big plot around here pretty soon, so don't get too comfy. Because God had said the Canaanites are so wicked, I'm booting them out, and I'm going to give you this land. So, they came to the valley of Eskel, which means clusters. And from there, cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two men with some pomegranates and figs. Now, that's a pretty big cluster of grapes, right? If you can hang it on, on a pole, right? So, we're talking about, you're in the desert, right? And somebody comes back with grapes the size of, you know, golf balls. You're like, whoa. That place was called the Valley of Eskel because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. So, these guys are like, wow, there's cows, there's grass, there's, there's water, there's trees, there's fruit. This is beautiful. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness at Kadesh, and they brought back word to the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So as you're reading the Bible, you know, just try to put yourself back in that time. You've seen pictures, right? They're all dwelling in these organized tents. You know, there's not a whole lot to do. What do you want to do today? Oh, I don't know. We'll never go hungry because of all the sandwiches there. That was a pun. Um, but it was kind of like, I, I don't want to say boring, but kind of like pretty much routine. You're just trying to stay alive. What are we going to eat today? Same thing we ate yesterday. We're going to have manna, right? And then all of a sudden, 
this scuttlebutt. Hey, 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 who, who, who are those? Twelve raggedy fellas come walking back. Ain't they them spies we sent out? I haven't seen them for over a month. They're back. Hey, what do they got there? Wow, check that out. Go, Moses, the guys are back. And so pretty soon there's a scuttlebutt and everybody's gathered around the spies. And they're like, well, what was it like? Tell us about our, our inheritance. We're going to get there soon, right? It's, what's it like? Now, this is interesting. They showed him the fruit of the land. Verse 27, and they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. Right? I mean, there's cows, there's bees, there's plants, there's fruit. It really is, just like God said, it's, a, it's beautiful, and we're almost there. That's good news. Nevertheless, uh, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large, meaning they have big walls around them, right? These people are not pansies. Like, these are bad men, big bad men with walled cities. So um, we have a problem. Like, I doubt we could just walk in there and say, hey, can we have your city? Would you please leave, right? So, moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. Now, if you remember the story in Exodus, the Amalekites had already attacked the Israelites once. So, by the way, our enemies, the Amalekites, live there. Well, that's not good news. Oh, and also the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they're living in the hill country. Oh, yeah, and the Canaanites, they're living by the sea and the side of the Jordan. That's why we call that whole land the land of Canaan because of the Canaanites. So Caleb is one of the 12, and he's just watching. He's going, yeah, it's a great land. Let's go get it. And then the naysayers are going, this is crazy, man. These people got walls and big, and they kick our butts. We can't do this. And Caleb's like, what are you talking about? So Caleb jumps in. Quiet, quiet. Listen, we should by all means go up and take possession of it. We'll surely overcome it. Now, I, I want to be sympathetic to these people. Like, 10 guys are going, these people are, are huge. They'll kick our butts. And Caleb's going, who cares what they look like? God already told us it's ours. Let's go get it. Right? And we're starting to go, oh, I, I guess I should be more like Caleb. Yeah. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up this, against this people. They're too strong for us. Now, is that a lie? Sort of. The truth is they are too strong. But it's a lie to say we're not able to go up because it's not our battle. So these guys are walking by sight, not by faith, right? So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. Wait a minute. They just... Five minutes ago said what a beautiful land it is. And now they're changing the story. Now they're going to just flat out lie. The land through which we have gone and spying it out. It's a land that devours its inhabitants. You can't live there. It's hot. It's dry. There's, no, there's not enough water. There's, there's no trees. It's ugly. It's stupid. It's worse than this desert. You don't want to go there. Wow, these guys are going to change their story? And by the way, the people we saw in it, they're men of great size. These, we saw the Nephilim. Now you go, who in the world are the Nephilim? Well, if you read Genesis chapter 6, 
the Nephilim were these giants. Like, like they all would have been NBA players, right? They were huge. And the Hebrew word Nephilim means fallen ones. Want to have some fun? Read Genesis 6 and then read the book of Jude and talk about who are these like, these like half demons or something, but they're, they're big, bad, scary men. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. Now, of course, that's a hyperbola, right? But, but the point is, they're like, wow, I was just a little shrimp. I was like, yikes, these are big people. But see, that's the problem that we all face when we start fearing man, right? Ed Welch wrote a book that really captures this well. It's a book that I read that's really helpful. If, if you struggle with fear or the fear of what other people think or being a people pleaser or things like this, Ed, Ed Welch has a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. Highly recommend it. Even as a parent, it's helpful for your kids as they face peer, peer pressure. See, the problem is God says in Isaiah, everybody's like a grasshopper in his sight. So they were looking at the wrong thing. They're looking at, I'm a little grasshopper in their sight. And God's going, no, what about my sight? Don't look at them. Look at me. I already promised you, you got this land. So don't be afraid. Trust me. So we're sort of, sort of getting a diagnosis of what unbelief and rebellion and disobedience looks like. We start going, this stinks. This is too hard. I don't think we could do this. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and all the people wept that night. So they had two choices. I'm going to believe Joshua Caleb, or I'm going to believe the, the other guys. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Did they just say that? You ever heard this phrase? Be careful what you wish for. Because God, God took that to heart. And in a few moments, we're going to see, he said, okay. Is that what you wish? You wish you died? You got it. Be careful what you wish for. What a crazy thing to say. Do you people not remember that two years ago you were in bondage crying out, dear God, get us out of Egypt. We can't take it any longer. And I come in and I do 10 plagues. I part the Red Sea. I meet with you on Mount Sinai. I speak so loud with fire and thunder and lightning that you're terrified. I feed you manna. And now you go, just kill me. Why don't you just kill me back then? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. It would have been better for us to return to Egypt. Now, Moses has already heard this song. This is just another stanza. This isn't the first time that the people threw Moses under the bus. So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Do you remember the story of when Moses went up on the mountain earlier, right, to get the Ten Commandments? He's up there 40 days. And what are they doing down there? Making a golden calf, fornicating and getting drunk. The Bible says the people sat down to, to play and, 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 or to eat and drink and rose up to play, which was a figure of their wild, orgy-like behavior, wicked, godless. And, and they said, 
Let's follow this golden calf and go back to Israel. So this isn't Moses' first pony ride. Like he's like, okay, I've, I've, I've seen this before. And Moses is a great guy. No wonder the Bible says he's faithful. It's all by God's grace. But look what Moses does. They fall on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation because they're like, wow, this is not going to end well. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. That's what you did when, 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 when you were in great grief. You, you, you tore your clothes. You were like, oh, God. You tore them and, 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 and cried out to God. And so they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we passed through to spy out is a good land. In other words, don't listen to these. These guys are liars. It's a good land. And don't you remember what God promised us? Hello, God is with us. He promised us. Just trust him. If he's pleased with us, he'll give us a land. If the Lord's pleased, he'll bring us into land. He's going to give this land. But don't rebel against the Lord. Now, don't miss that phrase. Don't rebel against the Lord. Because that, that, that's, that's critical. That's the heart and soul of unbelief. Whenever I decide that God's ways... Are, are not the best for me. I'm rebelling. Whenever I don't trust that, that if God tells me to do it this way, it's not going to work, so I'm going to do it this way. That's, that's rebellion. You see, unbelief and rebellion are sisters because trusting God means that if I believe his promises then I will obey what he tells me to do, even if I don't understand, right? So how many times do people say, I'm not happy in my marriage. I'm out of here. And I'm going, wait a minute. There might be times for divorce, but you can't just go, I'm not happy in my marriage. God promised I would have a happy. He did. Where did he promise you that you'll have an easy marriage? Where did he promise you that you're going to have great health? Where did he promise you that all of you and your kids and loved ones are going to live happily ever after? God tests us. God gives us troubles. God gives us trials. And you and I have a choice. I can get bitter or I can by faith get better. Moses says, please don't rebel. Don't fear the people. They're going to become our prey. Now, I love what Moses says. I know they have walled cities, but he says, their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. The Hebrew word there for protection is shadow. That's kind of cool. Moses is like, they might have walls around them, but they ain't got no shadow. God has removed his protection. You know what's really encouraging about that? I was talking to somebody today. He said, my daughter wants to be a missionary in, in, a, in another country. I'm just afraid. That I don't want to let her go. I'm afraid of what could happen to her. Can I tell you this? The safest place to be on planet Earth is wherever God wants you. Because you're under his shadow. But when you start Burger king it your way, you and I might get out from under the shadow. So God is telling us, just obey me. Trust me. God's shadow is on us. His shadow's not on them. He'll work it out. But it didn't do any good. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. And about that time, they were probably picking out their, their, their rocks. And God goes, I'm, I, I'm going down there. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting. All of a sudden, whoo, bright light, powerful presence of God. Everybody's like, oh, drop their stones. What? The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? 
How long will they not believe in me? I've been promising them. Despite all the signs I've performed in their midst. He's like, Moses, step aside here. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. You know, it's kind of scary. If I was Moses, I probably would have said, let's do this, Lord. <laughs> I'll help if you need me. But Moses is a, is, is, is a man that's been changed by God's grace. Because look what Moses does. He's not worried about what they think of him. He's worried most about what people think of God. That's a big deal. You see, when you understand the gospel and the implications of, of what Jesus has done to die on the cross and to forgive me and then to put his name on me and say, there you go, you're my representative. The way you live is, is going is to help people to form an opinion about what I'm like. So I'm going to lead you in paths of righteousness, Tom, but it's not for your namesake, Tom, it's for my namesake. So what you do and what you don't do reflects on me. This is what it means to live for the glory of God. This is what it means to say, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, do all for the glory of God. If I'm living for Jesus, then I'm more concerned about, if I do this, will my neighbors think less of Christ? If, I will, if I'm willing to, to, to sacrifice or or be hated by men to take a stand. I'm worried about God's reputation. I'm worried about not giving an offense to the gospel. The reason there aren't more Christians in America is because of Christians in America. And so ask yourself, are you and I concerned about God's reputation or about our own rights and privileges and comforts? So look what Moses does. He says, Lord, the Egyptians will hear of it for by your strength you brought this people up from their midst. And they'll tell the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. You've been seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. You go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you slay this people, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, guess what? The Lord couldn't bring this people into the land. And so he killed them in the wilderness. What will people think of you, God? I mean, does that even cross your mind? What will people think of Jesus if I do this? You're like, well, who cares what they think of Jesus? This isn't comfortable, or I don't like it. So Moses says, God, I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. That's a cool thing to add to your little prayer, your little prayer feeder. Throw that log in there as you're praying. Lord, let your power be great here. Keep your promises. Bring glory to yourself. Do something awesome. Step in here, Lord, and show how awesome you are. Don't you remember, God, what you said about yourself? You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. You're forgiving iniquity and transgression. That's what I want people to think about you, God, because that's who you are. But by no means you'll clear the guilty, Lord. You'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So, Lord, I'm going to ask you to pardon these people's sins according to the greatness of your love, just as you have now forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Listen, that's heart and soul Christianity. What did Jesus say? He said, 
Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. What did Jesus do when they're nailing him to the cross? Father, forgive them. Praying for God's mercy on other people is a good habit. Let me tell you where to start. Your own family. You're like, where do you get that from, brother? Read the book of Job, chapter 1. Job was such a godly man. You know what the Bible says? He got up early every morning and prayed for his kids, lest they sinned against the Lord. Oh, God, keep my kids from sinning. Somebody came up to me in the first service. He said, can you tell me, Pastor, how to lead my kids so that they'll follow the Lord? And I go, well, it's not quite that simple. There are certain things God wants us to do, but I can't promise you that they're going to follow the Lord. But we could pray for them. Amen? Please pardon them just as you've forgiven them from Egypt until now. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But I love this verse. But God says, but mark this down. As I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Do you guys remember the MAB paint commercial? It had a bucket of paint, and it, they, it was being poured out on planet earth. And, and the paint was just running down the earth, right? See, right now, the earth needs a new paint job, right? The Bible is not filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Most of the people on this planet, the seven billion of them, are gone astray. They're disconnected from the only hope, the living God. But you and I are recipients of God's grace. And the Bible says his grace is spreading to more and more people. And so God says, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. We're in that in-between time where we have the opportunity to advance this glory of the Lord by how we live and how we boldly love people and share Christ with others. Because every time someone comes to know Christ, there's another soul who's come to the knowledge of the glory of Christ. Every one of our children that turns to the Lord and begins to follow him, what a glory to the Lord. And maybe today you're going to be one of those who's added to God's precious treasure one of his children who becomes a believer. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and I've, my signs which I performed and put me to the test these 10 times and haven't listened to my voice, they're not going to see the land. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and he followed me fully, I'm going to bring him into the land which he entered. How do you feel about Caleb? I find that really convicting, but I also find him really inspiring, right? Like, God, I want to be like that. I want to have a spirit that follows you fully. Come hell or high water, though no one join me, though everybody else around me has got one foot in the world and mad, sad, and feeling had by God, I want to believe whatever you said. And I want to love Jesus, and I want to obey Jesus, and I want to trust Jesus like Job, and I want to look up to heaven like Job did and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so by God's grace, Caleb and Joshua become an example to us. Now, we're running out of time here, but, but what I want you to note is that there are times in our lives where where we, we really lost our way. Like, we really need to hear God say, 
recalculating, recalculating. You need to humble yourself and repent, child of God. I love K-Love, and you've heard me say this, positive, encouraging, K-Love. But sometimes I don't need positive, encouraging K-Love. I need loving, firm correction from God. James chapter 4 tells us that at times we need to submit to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Be miserable, mourn and weep. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So God says to these people, hey, folks, you want to die in the wilderness? You got it. And don't ask again. Now, if we had time to read the rest of the chapter, they go, okay, we changed our mind. God, we'll go up there. We're going up. And Moses goes, no, it's too late. Don't go. Don't go. They're like, we're going up. We're going up. And they got a beating because, again, they just refused to do two simple things, and they're not simple, but to trust God and obey him. Songwriter said it this way. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So if you were to, and, and, and I want to commend you to do this, if you were to read Psalm 95, the psalmist appeals to this story. He says, don't you remember what happened to them? Do not harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness and they were laid low. And all the way over into the New Testament, the author of Hebrews spends two whole chapters, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, reminding the people of this story and saying, before you throw them under the bus, remember that you and I are still in the wilderness. So you're like, well, what's this have to do with me, Pastor? I'm not in the wilderness, and I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, here's the thing. The Bible says they had promises for them, Hebrews chapter 4, just like we do. But the word of God did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. But they fell because of their unbelief and their disobedience. So let me rehearse with you some of the gospel promises. Jesus promises us full and free and complete forgiveness of sins. That's a pretty good one, right? Anybody got a better one than that? You're like... I got the whole world. I'm like, keep it, because you're going to lose your soul. Jesus Christ has promised us full and free forgiveness, pardon that's complete, no condemnation. Jesus has promised that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Jesus has promised that he will never ask me to do anything that he won't enable me to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus is, is telling me, Tom, trust me. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I will trust you. Well, what's that going to look like? Tom, I want you to obey me. But Lord, you don't understand. If I do it your way, I'm going to suffer. Or this isn't too easy. Or what about everybody else? They, listen. Jesus said, if you love me, 
He'll keep my commandments. And so I want to encourage you as a church that, that we understand that all of us need to come alongside one another just like Caleb did. Caleb came alongside his brothers and sisters and said, listen, I know this is hard, but we got this. We got this, not because we're strong, but because God is good. God's promises are true. God's going to keep his word. We need to come alongside us, one another, and say, hey, brother, I know you're weak and weary. Been there, done that. We need to lift each other. We need to exhort each other. Many of you know people who used to be on fire for the Lord. And you're like, I don't even know. I don't even think they go to church anymore. I don't think they read their Bible. I'm not even sure if they believe, right? Some of you are going through really hard times right now. And, and some of you are disillusioned, like, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought I was told I can have my best life now. No. Depends on what you mean by that. You can have the peace of God. You can have the presence of God. But if you think that means you won't have problems from God, somebody gave you a, a bad information. So as we go forth, the Lord Jesus could come today. And guess what? We're in the promised land, right? But the fact is we're not there yet, right? And all of us have to say, okay, Lord, you know my heart. So let's start with this. How are you handling your problems? You're like, those people complained. Do you complain? Do I complain? Those people, those people weren't very grateful. Am I grateful? Those people weren't always faithful. How about you, Tom? How are you doing on that? Why didn't they pray more? Why didn't they rehearse God's promises and cling to God and hold on to him? Why didn't they rise up above their fears and say, God is, is with us. We got this. And I'm going, well, how are you doing with that, Tom? So as we close this morning, I think this is a good place for us as a church. We're, we're, I feel as a, one of your pastors, we're in a good place. God is, is leading us. The Spirit of God is moving. People are getting saved. We saw 13 people get baptized. Marriages are growing. People are going into ministry. People are being healed from their addictions. Broken people are being made whole. But you know what? We've got a lot of people that are hurting, struggling with sin, struggling with sorrow. Some of you, and I don't have a personal agenda here, have a double life going, right? What you do here on Sunday, oh, praise the Lord, is very different from how you live during the week. Can I urge you that? That's a dead end. That's a dangerous place to go. And so if you're not walking with your heart fully surrendered to the Lord, God is full of compassion, and he's calling us back. He's saying, get in the game, Tom. If you only come once in a while, for example, to church, you're not just hurting yourself. What about other people? We need you here. If this is your church, we need you to be involved. To give God your backside for an hour on Sunday morning is not very impressive. God wants you to serve him.
Give to him. Use your gifts in advancing his kingdom. And you know what's so cool? Is he's with us. The Lord Jesus is here right now. And he's inviting you and me to follow him by faith. I want to finish well, don't you? Would you please, I, I say this all the time, pray for me. Oh, pastor, God's blessing, you're preaching. Fine, but you know what Paul said? He goes, I don't want to, at the end of my life, preach to others and myself be a castaway. Pray for me that God will help me and our pastors and our elders to be men of prayer, men, men of humility, men of faith and obedience. Listen, I put my pants on the same way you do. I get upset with God. I fear, what if I'm not saved? I tremble. I, I sometimes watch TV instead of obeying Jesus. I think about sex when I should be thinking about Sunday school. We're all in this thing together. But God has given us great promises, and we have a great Savior. And it's really exciting to think that you and I could go out this week and just trust God and be faithful to him and, and invite others to join us on the journey. And so wherever you are right now, can I commend you to my Lord Jesus to follow him fully by faith. You will never regret. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, if you live this way, an abundant entrance will be opened for you, welcomed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You looking forward to that? I am. Take us out of here, Lord. But we got work to do. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, our great God, thank you so much that the same God who met with Moses, the same God who parted the Red Sea, is in our midst. The Lamb of God, Jesus, has been slain. Our sins have been dealt with. Satan has been defeated. Jesus rose from the dead. Life abundant is available to all who come to him. Pour out upon us, Father, revival, the filling of the Holy Spirit, victory. Wipe away our tears and grant us joy. For all those who are, are discouraged, I pray that you'll comfort them with your precious promises. For those who are growing hardened, rebuke and correct them, Lord. For those who are serving you so faithfully, Lord, give them energy, give them joy, give them encouragement. Bless this church and bless the churches in Syria and Lebanon. We look forward to that day when we cross the Jordan and we enter the kingdom of God. But until that day, Lord, help us to trust you and to do what you say. Thank you for our free salvation that we have through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Be praying for our Easter services, and we'll see you all. We have three services next week, don't forget, as well as our Friday night Good Friday service.